please join me in turning to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Is this on? Well, it is. You're, she's really great. Well, good morning. It is good to be with you all this morning. And before we jump into the passage that Angela just read for us, I wanted to first thank you all for donating coats. Uh, thank you for helping Trevor's school project, service project, but also uh, a way to bless our neighbors even as the, the season gets Cold. And so thank you. And, and again, we'll, that'll go to the Open Door, but a, a, part, uh, a ministry that the Open Door partners with uh, serving those in need in New, New Jersey and in New York. So thank you so much. I also wanted to give a little update about my time in Scotland a few weeks ago. For most of you know that I was invited to speak at uh, the Lockheed Baptist Chapel's church family retreat. Uh, we've supported this church for several years and, and have even sent a couple teams in the past. And so it was a great opportunity. It kind of came together at the last minute, but, uh, but I was really grateful. One of the reasons I was grateful to go, not just to serve the church, but also I was also able to meet up with Andrew Matheson. Uh, there's a picture of his family. Many of you know that uh, since he's been here, they've added uh, twins and uh, growing family, and, and he was the founding pastor of this Lockheed Baptist Chapel, uh, but has since moved well, but he's moved to closer to his hometown in Glasgow, um, which is kind of across the country. And so I arrived actually a couple of days early to hang out with Andrew and his family and got to see what he's doing uh, in Barlinark. And that's a fun word to say. But that's a little uh, uh, a scheme, with what they call it, um, outside on the east end of Glasgow. And Andrew is plugged into a church there. He is serving. Uh, it's another 20 Schemes Church. That's an organization, a network of these uh, church plants that are serving uh, some of the poorest and uh, uh, needy neighborhoods in Scotland. And so... Andrew is there serving, and Lord willing, in the next year or so, is uh, poised to kind of revitalize another church or send out, be sent out to plant another church. And so they're doing really well, and it was great to see them and see, uh, meet some of the other folks that he's in ministry out in Glasgow. And then I was, traveled over to, to Lockheed, which is across the country, and we... Um, I uh, got to hang out with the, the, the church family at LBC. And it was a hit to the church to lose the Matheson family. But Dave Dixon and his family, Kath, and uh, Josh, Noah, and Ethan, uh, they, uh, Dave has 
is a faithful man of God, and, and, and he has shepherded the church well, um, and, has, and has taken the whole, the whole work on his shoulders, really. Um, but they, there are also just bright spots for them in this ministry. It's a little church, but they are, they're, they've gained some new families that are really uh, wonderful and strong believers. And uh, Lord willing, even two men will be raised up within the next year to be elders within the church. And so it was a tremendous time to be at the retreat. One, I have a picture of where it was. Um, there. That's the North Sea. That was the view outside of my window. So, look, I wasn't really suffering for Jesus here. <laughs> like, it was gorgeous. Um, and uh, got to spend the weekend preaching and hanging out with it, this little church. And uh, there's a picture of the group uh, next. But there, th- this group was a tremendous encouragement. Uh, th- th- this church is joyful, they are committed, they are faithful, they love Jesus, and they are fully in and on board with the, the mission and work of the church. And, and to be honest, and this is often how God works, I think I left more encouraged than what I went to encourage them with. And so um, there's a couple other pictures. Uh, one of the other things I got to do, there's some, uh, another picture of some of the folks that were at the retreat. And then the last day that I was there, the last full day, I got to go back to Lockheed and hang out with the, the Dixon family. They are, uh, as if you remember from their update video, that they, they homeschool their kids. They're actually in the process of trying to start a Christian school in Lockheed area. One of the families actually moved up from outside of London to join them, not only in the church, but also in, in be, beginning a, a Christian school. And on Monday afternoons, they do a, a, a theology school for, for their kids and then other kids in town. And so I got to drop in on, the, on their theology class for kids. And it, it, was, it was not watered down. It was serious. And uh, it, it was really encouraging to see what the Lord is doing, not just in the adults, but also in, in the children and how God's raising uh, and, and, and serving this church. And so let's continue to pray both for the Mathesons as well as the Dixons and the churches in Balarnark and Lockheed. Uh, again, these 20 scheme churches, they don't plant in swanky parts of town. Uh, but in rough areas, in the tough places. They're places where addiction and poverty and broken family and social structures are commonplace and normal. So church growth models don't really work. It is just faithful practice and faithful, a faithful presence day in and day out and week in and week out that, that God has called these saints to. And so let's pray for them and, and thank God for the opportunity to partner with them. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you that you don't just save us and whisk us off to, uh, to heaven, but rather you, you, you equip us and allow us to join you in your work, to participate. We, we see even in this, these, these churches a faithful presence, a, a, a people that you have set apart and have called them to, to walk with you and, and be used by you. And I thank you for the work that you are doing, for, for the, the gospel that is being proclaimed, that the, witness, the faithful witness, even in profoundly broken areas, that, that these, these churches are truly a, a city on a hill. They are light and darkness. 
Lord, I pray for both the Mathesons and the Dixons as well as um, the other leaders in the churches and, and the families and the, those that uh, join together in this work. I, I pray that you would continue to strengthen them, encourage them, use them. I thank you for the opportunity to partner with them in this ministry. It's an opportunity that we get to, to share in this work. I thank you for the ways that they blessed us. For, for the ways that they've instructed us and, and helped us think about ministry well. Lord, I pray that you would continue to allow this, the, the, the partnership to grow and flourish. We pray for their churches that you would, you would cause them to, to grow in depth and even in size and that, that there would be a revival in these schemes. And that the revival would not just be for one generation, but for, for the next ten generations or, or, until you come and return. Lord, we, we pray that you would strengthen them and use them for your glory and the good of others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are at the end of our Life in the Family of God series. And one of my mentors uh, and friends, when I first started preaching, uh, told me this. He, go to, he said, a good basic structure for a sermon is to tell people what you're going to say, say it, and then tell them what you said. And so this morning, I want to just be pretty basic. And that's what I want to do in a couple different ways. One, again, this is... Uh, the, the bigger picture is that this is our last week of this Family of God series that we've spent a total of 13 weeks. We spent uh, five weeks in the spring and now eight weeks here considering our church covenant together. Uh, we, we, we've, we, we've stated several reasons why we've committed this time to this series. Uh, so forgive me for repeating myself, but again, I think it's worth reminding ourselves at least one last time, a church covenant... Uh, as Aaron Menikoff has said in the past, and I've used this quote before, he says, if a statement of faith is a synopsis of right doctrine, the covenant summarizes right living. The covenant aids church leaders and members by describing what a Christian life looks like. Proper use of a church covenant encourages members to take responsibility for each other's holiness. With that in mind, our goal in this series over these 13 weeks has been to grow in our understanding of our church covenant, which we, we adopted earlier this year, but also see that it is not just random thoughts from the pastors, but rather these are grounded in the scriptures. The, 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 the promises of this covenant have biblical foundations. And, and two, we wanted to renew our vision to be an active and vibrant church known as, as joyful followers of Jesus who, who actively participate in each other's lives, helping one another follow Jesus well. And as we do that, our, our goal has been to flourish as a church. Our goal is to have, be joyful Christians, to grow, to be to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, to, to, to grow in maturity, to have a richer communion with the Lord and with one another, to, to 
minister, use our gifts for the flourishing of the church, but also for the flourishing of our neighbor. It has been our goal throughout this whole series that, that, that this, to dig through the scriptures to reveal God's call on our lives as the local church. As, as that is, it, it's been, we hope that this would be a mean, means to cast a vision to remind each other of our call. And even if you're not a member, to invite you into what God is doing in and through us. It is mean, meant, meant to be a way to say, hey, this is, these are the tent pegs that we're, we're, we're putting up, and we want, to, we want to invite people in. This is what we stand for. This is, uh, so to speak, drawing a, a line in the sand and saying, this is what we are committed to. So over the past weeks, we've sought to do exactly that. Going covenant promise by covenant promise, grounding each in God's word. We've even used our discipleship groups to dig deeper into these promises with the intention of this. We have one more week of these groups, so if you haven't done this yet, here is a great week to start. The idea has been to look across the table at somebody in their eyes and say, I'm committing myself to you. I... Our lives are bound together in Christ and now in this, in this, in this local church. And I'm, I'm committing these things myself to you, and, and I want you to commit to me. And with God's help, let us intentionally point others to Jesus, that we would follow him faithfully. So today we're at the, at the end of the series and simply want to remind and reaffirm what has already been said by, by way of summary and now commissioning to live out these covenant promises. Look, we told you what we were going to say from up front. We said it, and now we're summarizing it and thinking about where do we go from here. So with that, that in mind, let me tell you what I'm going to say. I'll say it, and then I'll tell you what I said. All right, so first, we're going to look at Ephesians 4, 1 to 6, and ask how does this passage encapsulate and punctuate this series? Number two, we'll ask, where do we go from here? Number three, what can we expect as we go forward? So look back at Ephesians chapter four, verse one to six. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This passage begins the second half of Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In the first three chapters, he has written of the beauty and the power and the work of the gospel, the good news of God's work of redemption. In chapter 1, you can just thumb there and kind of look it over. 
In chapter 1, we read of God's call on the life of His people. A call that begins even before the foundations of the world. This call was for those whom He chose to become His adopted sons and daughters. These are those who have experienced the finished work of redemption, the forgiveness of sins that comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only are we adopted into God's family, but we become co-heirs with Jesus. That we are, that Jesus is reigning and seated at the right hand of the Father and given all authority, and we get to sit next to Him. This resurrected Christ in whom His people are united are brought then into His body. And we're called then the church, which means the called out assembly. Friends, to be a part of a church is to be among those that have been called by God into this hope, into this life, into this newness. In chapter 2, Paul reminds us that, that the call was none of our effort, but came to us all by his unearned favor, his grace. In fact, we were dead in sin, but God, being rich in mercy and and great in love, He made us alive in Christ. Those who deserve death and His eternal wrath have been given favor and again are, are seated with Christ in the heavens. And this grace that God has shown He has shown it not just to one little group, but to Jew and Gentile, American and Korean, African and Argentinian. The dividing wall that our cultures often put up, God has torn down. God's grace, His forgiveness, His hope is for all people. And what this means is that there are no second-class Christians. There's no first world church. There's no second world church. We are one church in Christ. God has done this work. First to reconcile sinners to himself and then to others, one to another, in order to showcase his power, his glory, his grace, his love, and his goodness to the world. The people of God, those whose lives are united to Christ by by grace through faith, when they, they receive Christ by faith, by trusting in Him fully for their salvation. Those whose lives are united to Christ and one another form the church. The institution of the church is not a man made thing. That's important for us to think about. We corrupt it in a lot of ways, but it is not a man made thing. It was created by God. God brings his people together to live out their new life in Christ together. And in us, in Christ's church, is where God chooses to dwell. This is what Paul writes. In him, you, that's the people that have been called by God, Christians, are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. God's Spirit, one of the things that has always marked the people of God is that God's presence was with them. 
If you think about in the garden, God's presence was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Right? When you think about the, 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 the Israelites leaving Exodus, God's presence went with them. In fact, you remember when the Israelites sinned and, and Mo- yet again, and Moses goes and pleads with God, please forgive them, and God says, I'm done with them. I'm just going to, I'll stay with you, Moses, but they can go on, but I'm not going with them. And Moses goes, no, if you don't go with us, if your presence isn't with us, it's worthless. It's pointless. God's presence has always marked his people. When they, they build the, ta- the tabernacle and then the temple, God's presence, his spirit falls. It means it shows that God is with his people. And now at Pentecost, when, when, when Peter, after Christ had died, he was buried, he rose again, has ascended, the spirit falls on his people, once again saying, my presence is with you. Friends, that's what we are. This is where God's presence dwells within his people. In chapter 3 and verse 10, Paul says that God has done this so that through the church, the called out assembly, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Did you catch that? The church is God's designed way that he has chosen to showcase his wisdom to the world. He could have done it in a million different ways, but he said, in a ragtag bunch of people who often have no business sitting in the same room together, that's where I'm going to show my glory. That's going to show where I'm going to show the wis- my wisdom to the world. You see, first, Paul begins his letter by telling the church, God's people, about their story. This is who you are. This is your call. This is your salvation. This is your new community that comes through faith and faith alone in Christ. He first tells them of the grace of the gospel. Now he turns to address the implications of that grace in the life of God's people. That's where we are in chapter 4. He's saying, because this is so, this is what this means. Paul begins to describe how the church is meant to showcase the manifold wisdom of God. And again, he says in verses 1 and 2 to 3, I'll read them again. I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is what the therefore is there for. Paul is saying, in light of all the, I've already written about your call, about your new life in Christ, you being united to Christ and with now one another, walk it out in your life together. The purpose of, of our church covenant is not to make a church, but it's to summarize how we ought to live as the church. He says, walk in this way as you've been called, that, that, that demonstrates that you've been called. He says, walk first in humility, 
not demanding your own way or insisting everything be about me, but considering others' needs and being committed to promoting them and, and, and seeking their goodness and, and their flourishing. I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast. Judge away, you're fine. But somebody, he was talking about, he was talking to a, com uh, a comedian, and uh, I'll just say, it, it was Steve-O from, you know, the, so anyway, but he was, he, <laughs> moving on, um, but Steve-O began doing stand-up comedy, and Joe Rogan is a stand-up comic, and he said, I'm going, he encouraged him to do it, while other kind of stand-ups discouraged Steve-O from getting into stand-up comedy. Said, you know, I'm, they said, I'm more of a purist. Uh, this is an art form. It was, a, it was a, an economy of scarcity. There's only limited resources, and I don't want you stealing my resources. Rogan, on the other side, was saying, there's plenty out there. It was an economy of abundance. Flourish. Go. If it works, it works. Go. Now, I'm not... I'm not uh, uh, recommending either of their comedies. I'm just saying I listened to the podcast. And it was helpful. In other words, humility says, I'm not just trying to get my piece of the pie and keep it to myself. I want others to flourish as well. I want others to use their gifts, even if they're the same gifts as mine, and I want to see them do well. Gentleness. He says, walk in gentleness. Treating others with kindness, not harshly or cold towards them. I think we often, I know I fail in this so often. We are to walk in gentleness and kindness, just, just like Christ was lowly in heart. We are to patiently bear with one another in love. Do you realize that that, that phrase, if you're bearing with somebody, it means that they're probably being difficult? And we're to do that in love. Our, our patiently bearing with them doesn't produce love. It's, it's, it flows out of our love for them. It's to extend grace and mercy to others and to commit to be long-suffering even when they let us down, which they will, which I will. These attributes are precisely what we've been spent the last 12 weeks considering. So if we walk in them, what happens is that we will maintain the unity that God has already provided us through His Spirit. We don't create unity. God has already done it. He has united us to himself and to one another. God has given us his peace that we would walk, that we would rest in it and then walk in harmony. Our, Paul recognizes and urges the, the Ephesian church and then us to walk in this way because he knows that while they and, and we did not create this community, we can certainly break it through demanding our own way, treating others cruelly, or through neglect, or just pride. 
But if we walk in a manner worthy of our calling, if we seek to fulfill our covenant promises, we will become a church that, that, that grows in its ability in, in ways that it is displaying the manifold wisdom of God to one another and our neighbors. We will do these We will do this because these characteristics, do you recognize this humility, this gentleness, this patience, this unity, this love, this peace, are the very characteristics of God himself. These traits describe the perfect unity of the triune God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit exist eternally, humbly with one another. They are gentle with one another. They are patient with one another. They are full of love for one another. The, the, these, these also, the, these attributes, characteristics, they also perfectly exhibited, they were perfectly exhibited in Jesus himself in his earthly ministry. This is exactly how Jesus walked. And now they're meant to be displayed by those who have been united to him by grace through faith. If we walk this ways, in other words, we will look like our master. We will walk and live as Jesus did. We will look like we have been called by God and have been transformed by that call. This is why Paul writes in the next verses in verse 4, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. See, this unity is created by God, and it, it is, it's grounded in this, sh- that, that we experience and, and, and hold it fast, it is grounded in our shared confession. It's one of the reasons that we've started using the Apostles' Creed or the, the Nicene Creed week in, week in and week out. I've, I've probably told a bunch of you this before, but when you walk in here, like if you were from like 750 AD and you walked in here, you go, what's in here? A church? A church meets in here? Like it, it, this, this is a warehouse. It doesn't like smack of a church building. And we don't typically sing songs that, the, that, that are older hymns. And so I think in a lot of us, we feel... We feel disconnected from our heritage. One of the reasons that we, 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 we say the Lord's, uh, the Apostles' Creed is so that we are reminded that this isn't something new that we were created, creating. This is, we are part of a long line of Christians who have said these same words, who have, who have confessed these same things. That we're reminded that, that God is at work through generations, not just right now. And Paul, again, says, hey, this is your confession. This is your shared confession. And he, he, has, he, he breaks it up in these, these triads. There are these three triads. So verse 4, verse 5, and then verse 6. Each one has a, a set of three. In the first, chapter 4, I mean, verse, verse 4, one body. 
recall, Paul spent a lot of time early in the letter saying, in the letter saying Jew and Gentile, there isn't a difference anymore. God has torn down the wall. You are now one body. There aren't the people of God and then the extras. Rather, they are all one body. There's only one church, one people of God. There's one spirit. It is the same spirit that fell on the apostles, the hearers at Pentecost. It's the same spirit that fell on Cornelius and his household. It's then the same spirit that fell on the Antiochian church. In other words, the same spirit, the spirit of the living God, has called all of God's people. It has always been the work of God's spirit to call his people. And it is the same spirit. And it, is, and it is by this call that we, along with all of God's people, share in the same hope of eternal life in the gospel. This is also why we can operate out of abundance. We all share the same hope. Like this, is, this is our shared inheritance. God has abundantly given. He has promised us new life and, 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 and forever with him. This is our shared hope. No one's encringing on the hope that I'm trying to store up for myself. Rather, we, we share it. We collectively hope for it. Second, there is one Lord. One allegiance for all the people of God, Jesus Christ. We receive the Lord through one faith. It is by the faith of turning away from sin and trusting fully on Christ. No one is saved. No one, no one comes to God outside of faith in Christ alone. And this new life is then symbolized by our shared baptism or our literal soaking in the Spirit when we were born again. And it was represented by water. I was glad to be in Scotland. I was bummed to miss the baptism. Because that is where we, we, we recognize people are identified with the Lord and then also with His people. And Paul is saying, hey church, it's the same Jesus. It's the same faith. We've, you've all come into it through the same waters of baptism. Remember that. Hold fast to that. That actually grounds our desire to walk with one another, to walk in union with one another. And lastly, he reminds us that there's one God and Father. And we see the, 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 that trilogy or the, 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 the three aspects of that he is overall and through all and in all. But what we see is that he is the, the origin, the ruler, and the sustaining presence of everything and everyone in the universe. God is over all things. Nothing is outside of him. Tim Keller writes this. He goes, since God is himself a loving unity of persons who are different but equal, serving each other, every church he gathers under Christ is to be a loving unity of different but equal persons serving each other. 
If we were to read on this passage, Paul says, you are one body. But he's going to continue and say, hey, but each of you have different gifts to be used within the context of the church. We've already covered that, so I'm not going to go back. You can go back and listen to the the sermons uh, uh, earlier on in the series. But our unity is in our shared confession. So when division, when strife, when loneliness come in, we often forget it. We think it's us versus the world, or them against us. We think we're either superior to others or, they're inferior, or that we're inferior to others. What, what happens is we forget our shared story. Here's the point. If you've been called by God, you were also then called to be a part of his church. In this sense, we are called into the universal church. That's why we say the Catholic Church with the little asterisk. It means, just means universal. This is the community of all Christians everywhere and in every time. Yet the universal church is lived out in the local context. The local church is where the gospel is made visible. It's in the local church that like this one, that we're meant to practice these things, to walk out our calling of humility and patience and gentleness. You can can try to work them out, but if you're not working them out with somebody else, you're not actually working on them. You're just thinking about them. So what this calls us to, it's meant to commit ourselves to one another. Yes, even in membership, to say, which is all to say is, I'm all in. This is a very imperfect church. I'll just say that from up here. I know that personally because I'm very imperfect. But we're not called to be a part of the perfect church. We're called to be a part of a local church where we commit ourselves to one another. We remember our union even as we come to the table. As we come to the table a little bit later, I want to encourage you. Yes, remember your story that comes from the Lord, that that the grace that has come through Christ, what God has called you out of darkness and he's called you into his light. He's called you as a son or a daughter. He he has given you new life. Yes, think about that, but look at, at, at others taking the bread and wine too. Do you realize that God is welcoming us all to his table? It's a shame that we kind of have to do it all one by one and not sit in a big table. Because what this means is the people that are most like you and those that are most unlike you, in Christ you were made one, in one body. And we share the table together. Even coming to the table, we learn humility and gentleness and patience. We get to practice the unity that God has brought about as we come to the Lord's table. So this brings us to the second question. What ought our response be? Where do we go from here? For one, when we consider the gospel in our own call, we will see participation in the church as an essential to living the Christian life. 
God does not just call anyone. He doesn't call anyone just to be just to himself and not also to his people. This is one of the reasons why we stop broadcasting our services. Because going to church on your couch in your underwear isn't a thing, biblically speaking. Yeah, you can sing. Yeah, you can hear the sermon. But you can't walk in humility with others. You can't walk in gentleness with each other. You can't be patient with others. Maybe with your kids as they're trying to burn down the house as you're trying to watch the service. But this is why we're not to forsake the gathering of God's people. It's in the sharing of our lives through the encouragement, help, the exhortations, the admonitions of our brothers and sisters that help us to press on and follow Jesus. It's how we grow. Do you know how you grow in patience? You sit with somebody who drives you nuts. Do you know how you grow in humility? You give your attention and your affection to those you don't agree with or understand. I've shared this quote before, but it bears repeating. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote in his book, Life Together, Christian brotherhood, the community of God's people, is not an ideal with which we must realize or create. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. Friends, we're not building anything here. Rather, we're meant to walk, to live out, to live in a way that demonstrates that we have been brought into this family of God by grace and by grace alone. Through Christ and through Christ alone. By faith and by faith alone. See, our response ought to be then to look at our covenant and the scriptures We could even flip that. Look at the scriptures and then our covenant to see how life in the community of Jesus ought to be lived. It is not to see these promises as something just to post on our website or just say every once in a while at a meeting. Rather, these are meant to provide a framework for us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So, we have a huge stack of them out of the back. Grab one. Read it. Stuff it in your Bible. Consider it. And then be bold and put it into practice. Hear me out. I'm not saying that we need to work harder or do more. The reality is, is if we just try to do this in our own strength, with our own self-righteousness, it's going to end in disaster. Our church will not grow. It will not flourish. It will not be a place of joy if we just try to do these things on our own strength. So just as we've been called by God in his grace, we need to be strengthened by his grace as we walk in his ways. Psalm 127 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. What this means for us is that we need God's help. And we need it Daily. We need it ongoingly, in an ongoing way. We need to live lives dependent on Him. It is for this reason that our church covenant ends. I'm finally getting to the covenant itself. It ends with 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14. And it reads: May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. 
Amen. We need the power of the triune God to help us. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, and in 2 Corinthians 13, 4, we see one of the clearest pictures of the, of the Trinity in the Scriptures. The word Trinity is not in the Scriptures, but, but the God is, the triune God is throughout. But in these two passages, we see clearly that Paul puts Father, Son, and Spirit on equal footing. And what we see, even in this passage, this 2 Corinthians passage, we see that each aspect of, of what the gospel, Godhead provides for us is necessary and it's inseparable and provides us for what we need in order to walk in obedience to Christ. For it is through the very grace of Jesus that we come to know the love of God, which brings us into fellowship with him through the Spirit. And anyone then who has fellowship with the Spirit is brought into fellowship with one another. So to tap into this power, we need it to keep it front and center in our mind and in our relationships. We need to allow our story, our, our gospel story, to, be, to shape the way that we live and prioritize our lives. Our stories need to be reshaped by the gracious call of God in our lives. So here are just some practical ways. There are countless other ways, I'm sure. But friends, spend time with the Lord in prayer. If you haven't been praying, I'm not here to shame you. But don't think like tomorrow you're going to start by praying an hour. Hey, just like say, I'm going to pray for five minutes. Start there. But begin a practice of prayer, of communing with the Lord. Spend time with the Lord in His Word. If you want the gospel story to, story to shape, reshape your story, I would encourage you just read over and over the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Hey, y'all, in my Bible, it is two pages. Y'all can do that. And just commit yourself to reading what, what is it that God has done? Who am I in Christ? Let that sink down deep into your heart. Talk to others about what you're reading God's word and what you're thinking about. Friends, welcome others into what you are learning and desire to apply in your lives. Some people are going to be further along than us and some people not as far as us. This is where humility and gentleness and patience comes in. Let's encourage people where they are. Let's listen. Let's encourage. Let's, let's share what we're thinking about. Don't write it off. But welcome others in. Confess and repent of sinful patterns and practices in your life. Remember and consider how God has dealt with you. Ask him to help you to treat others with the, the grace and help that he has shown to you. Look to the Lord for help, for strength, for wisdom, in his word, in prayer, in the fellowship of the saints. And, and let's minister out of that strength that God has provided. 
So what's going to happen if we do this? What can we expect if we were to see the community of Jesus, the church, as a gift to be treasured and enjoyed and guarded? And treated in such a way that we would want to step in. Like, I don't have a magic looking glass, but here are some things that I think we can expect. One, this is the third part, by the way, for those taking notes. One is that we will experience growing pains. If we commit to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we will begin to see Christ afresh in our church. We will begin to see others begin to blossom and to grow. Where there was once fallow ground, there will become fresh crops. But we will also be frustrated when things aren't going the way that we had thought or when someone falls short of our expectations. When someone doesn't show me the humility that I showed them, when someone doesn't mourn with me the way that I mourned with them, When someone is not using their gifts, they're just taking when I'm burning out. I love this verse, but I think it's so misapplied. When somebody speaks the truth in love, we all know what that means. They're coming at your throat, and they're just throwing a Bible verse at it. Often. Some will be overly harsh while others will be too soft and don't take the bold steps to exhort, admonish, and encourage others. Left festering. Left without seeing them through the matrix of humility, of gentleness, of patience. All of these things are a recipe for resentment and bitterness. Yet in these moments, we can return to the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit that we have experienced. And we remember how God has dealt with us. Then we are equipped and reminded that God has placed us in a community not merely for our comfort, but for our sanctification, for our growth in Christ. And it is, He is at work in us to make us more into the image of Christ, not just to be more comfortable or have things the way that we like it. So we'll experience growing pains. We will also experience challenges from within and without. If we seek to follow Jesus in our lives personally and corporately, it will push against the values of the world. Sometimes Christianity is in line with the culture. Often it's not. People will be tempted by false teaching. Some will be tempted to grab power or prestige for themselves. You may feel the pressures of trying to balance a busy life and of work and family and life within the community of God. Look, disagreements about the church's ministry priorities, how we go about pursuing our mission will arise. Friends, I know that not everyone was stoked when we, we, we made discipleship groups for those that have been covenanted members. 
The temptation is for that to, to begin to create division as, a, as opposed to humility and discussion. And patience with one another. Yet in these, if we hold fast to Christ and commit to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, we will grow in our understanding of Scripture. We will, with grace and humility, be emboldened with gospel convictions that stand up to the pressures of the world. We will confess and repent of sin before others. We will create a community where we can be honest with one another and ourselves. We will be a community that rejoices with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We will carry one another's burdens and encourage one another of the hope that we have in Christ and urge one another to press on in faith. Lastly, number three, we will experience a deeper sense of God's joy and presence in our midst. Like, I think this is going to take time. But if we walk in a way that God has called us into, how can it not produce deeper joy and awareness of God's presence? Like, life isn't going to get easier. But if we are walking and, and, and standing in the strength of God's grace, and we are linking arms together in that grace, how would we not have a deeper well to draw from when it is hard? Paul prays for the church in chapter 3. He says, he prays that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Get this, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. God isn't hiding behind a rock saying, catch me if you can. But he goes, I want you to know my fullness. And this is how. God in his grace has brought us to himself that we would know and be known by him. And he releases us then to, be, to know and be known by others. He says, my desire for my people is that they would know nothing less than the fullness of my goodness, the fullness of my mercy, the fullness of my grace, the fullness of my love, the fullness of my righteousness, the fullness of my joy. At God's right hand, there is fullness, there is joy forevermore. So as we live out God's grace as God's people, he delights to display his manifold wisdom his manifold mercy, his manifold love and righteousness to the world, even through broken people like us. God has gifted us with this thing called the local church, that we would be strengthened by his grace to help one another, to do deliberate spiritual good for one another, as, they, as we walk together towards the, the kingdom. So what do you say to this life in the family of God? Let's, by God's grace and strength, step into this covenant community that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling, and in doing so, 
grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, and display the manifold wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your call on our lives. Forgive us where we have We have cheapened your call. We have minimized it. We thought it was only just for us. That we've treated our salvation as just me and Jesus. Lord, we are an imperfect church in many ways. Lord, help us to, to grow in your grace, that we would be strengthened by it, that we would grow in health, that we would grow in wisdom and discernment, but we would grow in love and humility and patience and gentleness. That we would grow, we would, we would seek to preserve the unity. Doesn't mean that we would always agree. It'll always be easy. But rather that we would see the bigger picture of what you are doing. of fulfilling your purposes in the world, of making yourself known to the world, that that would be the top priority. And Lord, I pray that, that, that we would flourish by your grace for our good and the good of the, our neighbors. In Christ's name, amen.